Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, race fans, to the next episode of the Canoe Race World podcast, and we've got a great one. It is the post-General Clinton show. I'm joined here in the studio with the one, the only, Rebecca Davis, and my good buddy, Ryan Matthews. Ryan, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I've had the best, one of the best days I've had in a long time, and I'm definitely excited to be here tonight uh, talking more canoe racing. I am glad you had one of the best days you've had in a long time. We may not need the details, though, just in case they're not kid-friendly. <laughs> this is a child-friendly show. Re- Re- Rebecca, how are you doing tonight? I guess I'm here to balance Ryan out because I had my very first filling today, but I can feel my lips now. So, that's uh, yeah, I'm glad, glad Ryan got the good juju for today. <laughs> how is it going for you, Bill? It, it is going well. Uh, we finally got like eight minutes of rain here in the Asavo River Valley. Um, not that it really did anything to the flow, but it knocked some of the dust down. I am currently sitting here semi-sweat soaked from a paddle right before we recorded and life is great. Um, we're in full swing in the Michigan canoe racing circuit as well. So things are good there, but let's get on to the show let's uh let's talk general clinton you know uh we had a little dusting of rain how are the course conditions out there very low uh i don't have a way to fact check this as we would on the asable data but uh word is it's the second lowest clinton on record uh winning times are over eight hours so that has only happened a handful of times and hot Temperatures were in the 90s when people were finishing, so it was a it was a cooker out there. What was that John Candy line from that movie? It's not the heat, it's the humidity. Uh, was it a dry heat, humid heat? By Michigan standards, I would say it was dry. Um, I also think by the East Texas standards, that they'd consider it dry as well. But man, you know, we were talking ten days before that we were racing in 40 and kind of rain <laughs> here in Michigan. So I was just following along, but I was quite uncomfortable <laughs> most of the day. I was really happy to stand in the water at the last feed. You know, I was I was talking to another competitor about the course conditions. And for the listeners that haven't ever been out there, there is a valley there that for whatever reason, like it's almost different from our valley here. And I don't know if it's the river bottom itself or what it is, but it seems to pocket and hold heat. Whereas ours at times gets cool. Like, um, so my house is on top of a hill. And if I walk down to the river right now, it's 154 feet away from where I'm sitting. I guarantee it's about six degrees cooler down there. Out there, it seems to work the opposite from what I've noticed. It just seems to hold the heat in and just pound you when you're on the water. Yeah, it was. It definitely felt hot to me. Uh, most racers finishing looked pretty beat from the heat or just from the course conditions. Uh, boats, I saw a variety. Some people made it through with basically no scratches and 
no damage. Um, and some people had a little bit of damage. So it was just a, a variety. Uh, but, but with how low it was, I think it almost helped a little bit with some of that because there was really only a couple spots to go. There weren't a lot of decisions because the river was pretty dry. So. I was going to say, based on that, is it safe to assume that it was literally like stay in the channel for the most part? Yeah, that's that's what it looks like uh, for the most part is people were just staying in the channel. Um, there weren't too many like decision, yeah, decision points where you were going to pick a different way. Um, so feeding and stuff, most, most people were going in the same places through the feeds, which higher water, you know, they'll pick different lines, but... Yeah, for the most part, I guess straightforward, but uh, for teams that didn't know the river as well, it was mentally draining, like constantly trying to look for the, the flow. Yeah, I, I did speak to one uh, General Clinton rookie who that, that was their take on it, right? They were like, I've never actually been on a river where I had to make sure that I read and stayed where I was going and... Bill, I had to like go from left to right, right to left and left to right. And I can see down the entire river, but that's not the way that the actual water flowed. And I had to just keep working the boat back and forth and paying attention. And it was a really good conversation in regards to, well, you know, that's, that's kind of what we should probably be doing in a lot of other spots as paddlers is actually, and now that may not be the fastest way in all situations, but you still want to know where that actual channel goes in relation because you may be looking straight down the river that doesn't mean that the flow goes straight that down the river yeah that's uh something that my mom brought up as we were out there uh, doing some course scouting and this might be a tidbit that works for people but when you're on those rivers that are kind of like a uh, rocky bottom with higher sides as the susquehanna is you can kind of cheat a little bit and if you're looking <laughs> sounds strange but when you look across the river, if it's pretty wide, you can actually see that it, usually the water looks like it's sloping one direction, um, either to the left or the right bank, typically. Um, and that is a good clue if you're not sure where the channel is in low water, is just look for that slope. Uh, and that's that's where the, the deeper pocket will be. So um, she was kind of giving me that tip and to Mike too before the race. And he said it was really helpful um, when you came around a corner and weren't quite sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, hopefully there's somebody out there right now that uses that to become a better, uh, better river runner, better river reader. So no, that's great. Hey, Ryan, why don't you give us a rundown on the, uh, let's get to the results on the C1 results. All right. C1 results, uh, C1 pro race, uh, looks like there was seven finishers. Uh, first place, we had Christophe Marchand, uh, just under nine hours and 8.55.17. Uh, second place was Jason Hatfield from Grayling, uh, 9.16.12. Uh, third place was Greg Lowry in 9.30.01. Uh, the top female uh, finisher was Emily Broderson from Minnesota uh, in 11.36.01. Okay, very good. Sounds like that was a great race in the the, the C1 division. Uh, Christoph, if you're out there listening, uh, shoot me a text. I got to get the story from your perspective. I have now talked to both Lowry and Hatfield on their races, um, and they both said the same thing, that, that Christoph was something completely different 
um, really just dropped the hammer and never looked back, came through the came off the lake in great shape. And I've, I've seen some video from different angles and perspectives looking really good. Um, man, the thing that I observed with that guy, just from watching the videos, his reach and his wingspan seems really nice. And he seems to have that natural rotation to go along with it. Um, but then from the sounds of things, once he got into the swamp, he really did a nice job um, working the boat through that water and through those corners in a very efficient manner. Um, yeah, congrats to you. And I'd, I'd love to hear how your race went. Uh, Rebecca, did you catch any of the C1 race at all or no? I did. I had a front row seat to a lot of the C1 race. Um, they'd be going through right as we'd get to the feed locations. And it was really fun to watch the second and third place battle. Uh, Jason and Greg were together a lot of the race. And then, uh, towards the end, Jason started to open up the gap, but it was really fun to see those guys out there. They were Actually, all looks like they were having a very good time, which I would say was a little bit different than the C2 race where everyone looked pretty, pretty drained. <laughs> um, so it was uh, good to see them and, you know, see the, how positive everyone was um, during that C1 race because that, that's a long time to be in a boat. For sure. And it uh, to, to echo what you mentioned about Hatfield and Lowry, they were both very complimentary of each other. Um, it sounds like they had a great race within the race going um, and really enjoyed the competition and the camaraderie throughout, so to speak. Yeah, listening on the radio, too, it sounded like fourth and fifth had an had a interesting battle most of the race, too. Uh, that being Carlos Martinez and Tim Chappell. I uh, heard a lot of radio updates where they were you know within a few seconds of each other so been, you know interesting to see that in person and i don't have the results right in front of me but wasn't there like less than two minutes between those two guys at the end uh, i think it was just over two minutes it might i might be wrong those two went through the feeds flip-flopping too so they very rarely did we see them together where they were like riding as a pair but they would <laughs> flip-flops so tim would be first through one feed and then carlos would be first through the next um again both in great spirits <laughs> excellent excellent and as always before we move along from c1 um emily broderson winning the the women's division um boy what a year to sign up to do the c1 race um and go through that suffer fest has anybody heard from her at all as to how her race went I know for her it was a bucket list race to do the Clinton C1, and she uh, was really, you know, happy for having done it, and I think felt pretty good. Was pretty happy with her training. Had a great support team, uh, so I think that was a huge uh, accomplishment for her. Um, and it's heck, it's an it's something I've never done. So I, 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 I was going to say, that. Yeah. I'm super, super impressed. <laughs> yeah, no, same here. I've thought about it multiple times. And one year I had this grand idea that I was going to go C1 in New York, C2 for the Asable, obviously, and then Rabaska in Canada It and hit my own little weird version of a triple crown. And full confession, I chickened right out of C1 New York. I was like, no. This is absolutely nuts. <laughs> I'm not sitting my C1 that long. So, well, Bill, there's still time. You can, you know, that sounds like a good goal. 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there's enough drugs out there. We'll see. Uh, let's, on that note, let's move on to the C4 recap. Uh, Ryan, give me the rundown in C4, would you? 
All right, C4, we had uh, four teams competing with three finishers. Uh, the first place was a dominant performance by Patrick Madden, Ed Curley, Ben Schlimmer, and Jake Kratzer. Uh, just in eight hours, 24 minutes, and 48 seconds. Second and third, there was not much time between them. And from uh, hearing some race recaps, uh, it sounded like they had a really good battle. Uh, second place going to Bob, Wiss, uh, Bob Zavarell, Larry Harrison, and Jeff Schultes in 8.44.46. And five seconds behind them was Gloria Wesley, Gary Apria, Tim Garland, and Joe Manns. Uh, there was a fourth team, uh, the Hog Wild Racing Team. I think Rebecca might be able to give us a little scoop on this. Uh, there was an accident at a portage. Uh, the Hog Wild team, which was Bruce Barton, Tim Trebold, Russ Reeker, and Bill Toronto, uh, they were having a great race running in second place uh, pretty much from the gun. Uh, got onto the Goodyear portage. And Tim took a little tumble down the hill. So if you've been on that portage, it's probably the most treacherous, I would say easily the most treacherous treacherous of the Triple Crown race portages. Um, lots of rocks, pretty steep grade, tends to be slippery. And he just took an unfortunate fall, uh, got a little banged up, had a cut on his arm, um, hit his head, and then didn't realize this until after he got home, but seems like his ribs are pretty bruised. So, uh, fortunately, I guess, um, Gloria Wesley was not too far behind and she had a first aid kit in her boat and she was able to get Tim, um, at least bandaged and, uh, they, they all continued on. So the, the team with Gloria and Gary, Joe and, uh, Tim Garland, they sacrificed a lot of time in their race to help out uh, the Hogwild C4 and get them rolling again, uh, which those guys so appreciate. But anyway, they they took off from Goodyear, and we're going to see how it went. He was still bleeding pretty heavy when they got to Oneana, so they decided it was probably best um, to get him some stitches and get checked out, make sure his head was doing okay. So uh, update on Tim. We've had lots of calls and texts and i know he's really appreciated everyone reaching out but um he is on the mend it's a bit slow he doesn't feel great but uh he didn't have any broken bones or anything so it's just kind of taking take its time <laughs> um, to heal up but he's going to be okay um and Good the team will, yeah the team will be be back next year ready to stake claim to their to their spot and keep the rivalry alive out there so um yeah that was kind of scary <laughs> but i think overall it's gonna all work out all right and uh it's just you know we all do these super intense long races and and things can happen it doesn't matter how prepared you are and how well you know the courses um you can still have an unlucky accident yeah, accidents are called accidents for a reason, right? Like nobody really plans for them. Um, two, in my mind, two great stories in the C4 race. One, um, obviously at the front, we we had a banger team, right? Put together a C4 team and and bang at it. Now the question is like, who's going to be the next one to buy a C4 and put together another banger team? and really turn that into a race for the win and two 
like of the the three C4 boats that we think of traditionally out there in that race, the Susquehanna Valley boats, uh, the the New England boat or whatever you want to call Gary and Gloria's boat, and then the Hog Wild boat, like there was a really, really good display of sportsmanship there um, on behalf of uh, Gloria and her boat to to help the Hog Wild boat team there and, and really take some time off. Um, both those are fantastic. And I got a like at this point, I got to work in a little bit of a shout out to the radio coverage. Um, the radio coverage of the canoe regatta was fantastic. They kept us updated on the C4 and the C1 race as they were both unfolding. And we, you know, we, we got to hear about what was going on kind of with turbo and, and things of that nature. They kept us posted on the hog wild team. Uh, their coverage was uh, almost nonstop, like something would happen and then they'd be on the air talking about it and then we'd get a little bit of non-racing and then we'd be back for more canoe racing. Um, I was literally like post paddle sitting in the river listening to it and I thought, wow, this is some fantastic radio coverage. And one thing I learned uh, that I thought was cool was the history of the regatta grounds they went door to door i forget the year and like fundraise like everybody threw money in a hat so that they could buy those grounds to have the festival there and basically preserve the finish line for the race i i thought it was great did you two listen to the radio coverage at all i listened to several hours of it while i was uh getting some marathon stuff accomplished and and then obviously doing a little bit of grilling um the race coverage was awesome and you know in the lulls you know while they were waiting for updates they'd have pre-recorded interviews and you know those were very informative and and you know interviews with their hall of famers and it was all it was just excellent the great radio coverage uh, i've never listened to our radio coverage here in michigan of the race or anything like that because obviously i've been in the boat uh, but i can only imagine or hope that it would be anything like that because that was great um on that note let's jump into the uh some of the class winners uh let's go with the mixed champions first who do we have in mixed or mixed results uh i'll start with the uh amateur mixed winners and that appears to be kelly rhodes and martin lowenfish uh nine hours 24 minutes 28 seconds and then the next uh Mixed amateur was uh, Vicky Cummings and Dell Cummings. They were actually racing under the uh, 60 and over class, but uh, second place amateur mixed. Uh, third place uh, amateur mixed appears to be Jeff DeFeo and Amy Solak in 9.52.09. Uh, first place mixed for pro was Serge Corbin and Avisham Berlan. Uh, they took 12th overall in 8.32.47. Uh, second mixed was Luke Mercier and Sarah Lassard. Uh, they placed 17th overall in 845.32. And then third mixed was Joe Schlimmer and Phoebe Reese, uh, 23rd overall in 904.42. I think the results pretty much went as we expected there, um, with Evan Serge taking the, the pro mixed crown. And then uh, at least I had Martin and Kelly for the amateur as well. Um, I but it was a you know one thing that's great about mix is there's usually a lot of teams, so they are usually fairly tight races, even if it might not be for the top spot, but for the kind of 
you know, two, three, four, five. Um, and it appears that there were quite a few teams pretty close together in the middle. I think Sarah and Luke both had a couple little, I'll say, injury or little setbacks going into the race. And I think um, I, I'm, I'm not just, I'm actually really impressed with their race. <laughs> um, I, I think on their best day, they could be a little bit closer on Evan Surge, but we can't, unfortunately, we can't always have our best day on, on the day that counts and they, you know, have raced a lot. So, uh, that's, I know for myself included, I have had some where you're just like, well, I tried to get everything lined up and didn't quite get there, but, um, I was just happy to see them starting and going well and fighting it out with a lot of really good teams. <laughs> um, cause a few weeks ago, things were a little bit in flux. So, uh, that was something that's good to see. I was really happy to see Joe Schlimmer um, come back and have a really solid one with Phoebe because after the DW, um, that had to be really hard mentally to go to that race and and have to pull out um, before the halfway point. And then I'm really excited to see Andy Hall and Katie Peck holding on for the fourth place mix, um, beating some really experienced teams. And just seeing Katie get those results as she gets more experience moving up because she is a phenomenal paddler. Yeah, for, for sure. That was a team that I had my eye on. Um, and looking at their time on the clock, who the, the boats that they were around, things of that nature, that is a great result. So it is. Um, looks like they had a, a really solid race out there. Definitely. And one more I'd like to mention is um, Paul only and Joanne only. Uh, they finished 36th in the overall C2, but they came back. Joanne uh, hasn't raced in a few years and she decided to race again with her dad. And um, I had to talk to them after the race and it sounds like, you know, they were, they came in with pretty low expectations and got out there and realized like, Hey, we're going pretty well and we're, we're fighting pretty hard uh, in a, <laughs> I think, there's like four teams in a minute that finish around them. So they were in a super tight race the whole way. And that's, it's just great to see someone who's taken a little bit of time off, come back and really feel the fire and, and be excited about racing. So I was super happy for them. For sure. For sure. It, it, good people just to be around. Um, I think it was 2019. I went out on a, a, a light check with them um here in grayling and just absolutely fantastic it's good to see them both back in the boat and racing so and i've, I've got women's results now so <laughs> I, can, I can i can get that um, well let's do those now all right so the first women's team uh was edith mccaddy and mary schlimmer in a time of 85405 and 20th overall uh our second women's team was lydia heelscamp and cecily boogie uh, third women's team was Sylvie Nadeau and Michelle Laprade. And our first amateur women's team was Pam Fitzgerald and Brianna Fitzgerald. So another uh, mother-daughter team. Which Mother-daughter team, right? Yeah, and also a return. Um, Brianna's been off a couple of years as well. So it was uh, really good to see both of them out there. And, and racing together. I know Pam said the low water was a bonus for her because it meant she got to spend more time uh, with her daughter in the boat. So, which is that's a great way to have, <laughs> that's a great outlook for it. That's, that's a really good spin. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, Spoken like a true mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think there was um, a surprise with Edith and Mary winning the women's. Um, they've both been super dominant in racing. And uh, no surprise they went well together, at least to me. Um, fighting it out with some really stellar to Lydia and Cecily to be the second women's team. Uh, they're just both gaining a lot of experience, and they're still at that part of the curve where like that extra experience <laughs> really bumps you up um, in position. So they they moved up from last year. Uh, they didn't race together last year, but they both raced women's. But, uh, you know, had a, had a really good showing. And uh, Sylvia and Michelle, I know that was Michelle's second Triple Crown race, but first Clinton. And I think the low water was um, <laughs> a bit, it was like a bit eye-opening, like, whoa, this is really low. Um, but she was very excited to have Sylvia in the boat with her. And they, you know, I think they had a really solid race. Um, but it is, it is a different beast out there. For sure, com- completely different animal. Um, we talk about returns to the boat. It's been it's it's got to be a decade since Christina Wilson's race to Clinton. Am I am I wrong there with Maria Schilling? I think she said it's been eleven years, so uh, it's it's been a while for her. And yeah, they're I mean, both of those ladies are such competitors. And like you said, Bill, it's great to see it's great to see Christina back out there and with Maria who you know, is always, always ready. So they had a yeah. nice, solid race. Christina's last Clinton was 2012, at least in the pro division. So, yeah, it's it's been a few years. I, I have no idea how you looked that up so fast. <laughs> I like throwing random stuff out there and seeing if you can, and somehow you pulled that off. So, Well, full admission, I, I have my uh, NACPR sheet up. <laughs> oh okay gotcha uh, he gets to see more than three years bill so <laughs> okay. yeah i have i have all the way back to 92 for all all three races hey i'm a we're gonna jump on an nac north american can you nacpr like trivia question for you to work on and maybe not right now okay. but i'm very curious i was looking at the updated results which are on the website um I believe there's like 400 and, and I'm just spitballing a number. There's like 490 people on there now. Um, yeah. I'm curious as to what kind of growth that's been. And maybe we should make that a trivia question or something to see who's listening. Uh, what the record or highest year in the NACPR is for the most participants on it. So. Well, I, I did do something new starting this year. Um, kind of by suggestion from i've had from some people and some feedback i did include the amateur c2 uh, general clinton paddlers in the nacpr for the first time uh before it was all just the pros but um since the amateur races the same you know they're in the same boat same same course same same start yep yeah so to me it seems silly not to include them anymore um which was kind of started by my predecessor, but, um, you know, so part of that growth is I, I included several more paddlers than I used to, um, you know, looking at what would have been last year's, uh, tally, I think 502 was the, uh, the last race 
uh, or the, the last NACPR based on including the amateurs from the Clinton. So um, I'll have to look, but 502 would be the mark to compare against. 502 may be the mark. All right, let's get back to the Clinton. Uh, seniors, who's got seniors? All right, seniors for the pros, if I'm not mistaken, that was Mike Vincent and Al Shaver. Uh, they took 15th overall in 841.02. And then the uh, top senior amateur team was actually the overall fastest amateur team. That was Seth and Stephen Miller um, in 913.38. Okay. And veterans, do they? Uh, do we have veterans results? Uh, I don't have veterans for the pros since the Clinton doesn't include ages or ages. classes for the pros. Yeah, what do we have for but amateurs? The, the amateur, uh, the fastest veteran team was Vicky and Dell Cummings. Okay. Uh, followed by Jeff Peterson and Ed Wagner. And then uh, returning after many years, uh, Jerry Kellogg and Luke Robillard. Or sorry, Jerry is... 79 and Luke is 80, I believe. So, yeah. They, uh, it, yeah, it was really impressive to see them out there. I loved the Kellogg Racing coverage of the team. Um, if you're not following that Facebook page, you definitely should. What you're saying lots is that they're in videos. their prime right now. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. They have lots of experience. Yes, for sure, for sure. No, it was awesome. Uh, the, the Kellogg Racing team, like Facebook page and the updates and stuff on them both. Uh, it was really cool just to watch them still working a canoe down a river. Um, yeah. Tim. Yeah. Hey, did mean, you get a chance to talk to those guys afterwards at all or no? I have not uh, talked to either one of them since the race. Uh, if they'll do any more racing together this year <laughs> but uh, I think they were I did talk a little bit to Jenna while we were out there and uh, they were they were in good spirits and, and doing well um, every time we chatted so that was good to hear because like I said it was so hot and so low <laughs> for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, go ahead Ryan look at looking at some of the videos the Kellogg family posted of of their race one thing I I kind of I don't know, maybe it's just me, but seeing video of Jerry paddle uh, from the 70s and 80s and then seeing him paddle, you know, this year, his stroke looks almost the exact same. And, you know, I guess that's a testament to how strong of a guy, how strong of a paddler he, he has always been. Yeah, it's not often that you uh, see the more experienced teams looking that um, crisp, you know, and they, they really, you can tell that uh, those guys are quite the paddlers. It's sticking with them still. For sure. Well, let's get into the overall results. Congratulations. Spoiler alert. If you didn't already know this, but congratulations Westine and sleeve Lejoie on your win at the 2023 general Clinton uh, with a time of eight hours, five minutes, 51 minutes. Second place was Christoph Pruhl and Ryan Halstead with a time of 8.14 and 42. Followed in third with a sprint finish, uh, Mike Davis, Guillaume Blais. Uh, fourth place, Chris Isendorf, Pete Mead. 
Fifth place, Weston Willoughby, Matt Mearsman. Ryan, give us a rundown from 6 to 10. Hi, sixth place was Logan Minar and uh, Carson Burmeister. Seventh place was Ryan Zavarell and Jimmy Pellerin. Eighth place, Shane McDowell and Danny Medina. Ninth was Serge Page and Louis-Simon uh, Pernod. And 10th place was Kyle Stonehouse and uh, Matt Gabriel Jr. Excellent. Now, Rebecca, you were out there. Give us the rundown on how the race played out from what you saw. Yeah, so uh, the Clinton starts on a lake, and then within probably 15 minutes, um, they go into the first portage. Uh, first portage, we saw Christoph Prue and Ryan Halstead leading with Mike Davis and Guillaume Blay right on their tail. And then just behind them was Jimmy Pellerin and Ryan Zavarell, then a gap, uh, then Wes and Steve were there, and then another gap, and then we started to get kind of a steady stream of teams. I can't remember the order, but um, the rest of the top 10 guys coming through. And then after that, uh, I was getting updates from Fred Blay, and Wes and Steve just kept moving back, which we were like really confused, because we expected them to kind of move up and close the gap to the front three. Instead, the opposite was happening. Well, come to find out after the race, they flipped um, in the swamp fairly early. So they got over a minute back from those top three boats that pretty much stayed together through the swamp. And then after, which is like the first hour, and then after that, when things kind of settled down a little bit, uh, they, Wes and Steve pulled some other boats up. And then, of course, when the pack starts to develop, nobody wants to pull so we ended up with nine boats together in Portlandville, which is kind of the last spot before it gets really sucky and horrible again. So then things start to slink you back out and <laughs> spread out a little bit more. Um, but it was really cool. There was, you know, a lot of uh, very experienced at the top guys in there. And then we kind of had some of the, the newer young guys that are starting to make their mark in the top 10 and become a, regular top 10 paddlers all get to kind of paddle into uh, into the town of Portlandville together and lots of pictures and stuff of that, which is, is neat. Um, then we go into Goodyear Portage. This is about three hours into the race. And that's where I would say for the top 10 guys, definitely for the top five guys, the race really starts. Uh, the river gets more technical, shallow, fast um and technical in like river reading and like being able to pop the boat in the shallows not quite as twisty as the swamp section up above but uh that's where Wes and Steve made their move and were able to break away um then it was Mike and Guillaume Weston and Matt Mearsman and Jimmy and Ryan uh all kind of were together um and I think Christoph and Ryan were also in there a little bit um but at Oneana um Christoph and Ryan were off the back of that pack. Looks like they were pretty well done. And uh, I think they got back as far as 6th or 7th. I know they were with Logan and Carson uh, for a while. And then when we hit the flats again, um, which is like hours 4.5 to 6 of the 8-hour race, um, Mike and Guillaume broke away into 2nd alone for a while. And then uh, Christoph and Ryan came roaring back, and those two teams kind of got together. Uh, Jimmy and Ryan Zavarell fell back um, a little bit once we got below those flats. So between the six and seven hour mark, they started to 
to move backwards a little bit. <laughs> but then it was kind of our, you know, Christoph and Ryan, Mike and Guillaume, you could see that they were just setting up kind of for a sprint finish. Um, Chris Isendorf and Pete Mead were in the horrible spot of being 30 seconds back and not able to gain. <laughs> so you have oh, to watch. Man. I got to watch that for a good two hours, uh, maybe an hour and a half of them being like tantalizingly close, but not able to quite close the gap. And uh, then uh, at the same time that the second and third place team were kind of biding their time for that finish. Um, Wes and Steve looks like they finally started to really gel as a team. Uh, so they looked really strong the second half of the race. Uh, the first half, like, they looked good, but it looked like it was a little more effort to try to make the boat move. And it once they got to be alone a little bit and kind of settle into, you know, what, what their stroke was going to look like as a team, um, they, they started to look a lot more comfortable. Um, I would say it was fairly the opposite for everyone else. Um, I think there were quite a few teams who were racing for the win, especially when those guys were seemingly struggling a little bit early. Um, it, the race felt pretty open. So I think as we got further down the course, you could kind of tell, um, I don't know, two, three, well, I mean, probably quite a few teams in the top 10 that kind of, you know, went went out for it, swung for the fences, and then wouldn't say limped in, but you could tell there was some pain <laughs> coming into the finish. Um, Had shot their shot and paid their price? Yeah, a little bit. But, Le- but, left it all in the water. Yes, exactly. Left it all there, there in the water. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the gap between one and two and three in the last hour widened quite a bit, and I think a lot of that was just tactical at that point. Um, I, I mean, Wes and Steve were definitely moving the best that late in the race anyway, but, you know, it gets a little, when the water's that low and you're working for a sprint finish, um, you're not, you're, things are going to spread out fast, and they did. Um, so then... It was definitely, by the time they got to the last 10 miles, it was kind of the race was over for the win, um, as long as Stephen West could hang in there well. And then it was, yeah, just sprint for the finish. Mike and Guillaume got uh, beat at the line by Christoph and Ryan, which I think I, <laughs> I think neither one of them is, like, in love with, right? You always want to be the one to come out on top in that situation. But, you know, all these guys are really competitive and, and good racers, and it, it's a tight 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 race so um that's just gonna happen sometimes when you're when you're racing close so um overall it was it was fantastic race to watch um a lot of the i mean really one through ten moved around the whole race so every time you'd stop somewhere you know you'd see okay like kyle and matt gabriel were Kyle Stonehouse, Matt Gabriel were further back at the beginning, but you see them kind of moving up. And Chris Isendorf and Pete Mead were kind of in the pack, but always like the last, like all you know, always kind of just like almost not there. And then they'd pick off another team the next time you'd see them. And I, I think Chris, <laughs> the, Chris always gives me the impression that if the races could be longer, it would be better for him, right? <laughs> and so he just keeps getting stronger the longer they are. Um, Several times, you know, I talked to Matt Mearsman after the race, and he said we were as high as, like, solidly in third and as low as solidly in seventh. Like, you know, we were not really by anyone in seventh, and they finished fifth. But um, it's it's interesting to see that much, like, parity through the field. So uh, 
I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, no, that it, it looked like it was it was a race of the ages. And I kind of like my my thought watching it unfold and listening to it unfold was that we might be entering an era where that's what we get in canoe racing. You know, sure, in that nine boat pack, there were clearly some boats that, you know, were doing everything they could to hang on to that nine boat pack. But they were still there, right? And every one of those boats kind of went, huh, might have a shot at this. And you know what? They they really kind of did have a shot at it at that point. Whereas in years past, we go, your winners are going to be these people and these people. Everybody else is just racing for second. Um, I think it gave a lot of hope to a lot of teams and it really incentivized like taking that shot, holding on to that pack um, and maybe using some matches to try to stay within that pack. Now, the the other side of that equation is I got a text a, a while into the race and it was just a simple Wes and Steve clicked. It's over like it was that blunt of a text that when they hit their stride they were just like magic and gone. Uh, did, did it really kind of play out in that manner? Uh, so after Goodyear, like I said, that's like a push that everyone kind of makes. They, they gained a lot of time in that like hour after that, um, maybe like a, a minute and a half, which is, you know, that's quite a bit, uh, but still doable. When they hit the flat section, um, maybe 40 minutes, half hour, 40 minutes behind, uh, below Oneana, they were about two minutes ahead and they left the flats, um, like three minutes ahead of second. So they didn't gain a whole lot in there, but I think they got, um, pretty comfortable, um, you know, paddling nicely together and it just looks like it finally clicked. And then when they hit the faster water, the last 18 or so miles, um, you know, it just that suited them well and they were they were going well i mean steve steve is the best paddler you know that's active right now for a reason you know we've seen this before like he just you know he he's proven (laughs) why why he's the best um so they you know they pulled away there and in the water where you can make a lot of time uh so yeah pretty much once they got on that last 15 to 18 miles it felt pretty over um and then the other two teams got together, and like I said, they they started really racing each other, and not so much for the win. Uh, you you have to try to win win the race within the race. I mean, that's a, at that point. There's at yeah. that point. At that point, you know, they just they weren't gaining in those fast sections, and that's what you'd have to do. So, um, yeah, it looks like once they got over halfway, it kind of or well, halfway to two thirds of the way in, it was kind of like okay, the only way we're going to get back up there is if Wes and Steve make a mistake, and Steve doesn't make very many of those. And Wes has been very solid in all of his um, recent Triple Crown races, so you're not going to expect him to to make a mistake there either. So, um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it broke down. Okay, right on, right on. Well, congratulations to our champs, and congratulations to all the competitors of the General Clinton. Um, I think we're going to have a fantastic Triple Crown season. I'm very curious to see how the 120 and the General Classique de la Canute, uh, de la Maurice, I'm sorry, uh, plays out as we roll through our Triple Crown season. Let's jump into some projections and some dark horses. What were some of the 
teams that you two wanted to watch and follow that you thought were going to perform? And how did they actually turn out? Take it away, Ryan. <laughs> oh, put me right up on the spot. I see how it is. Oh, well, one of my uh, top dark horses was Ryan Stepka and Guy, or, uh, excuse me, Key Rousseau. And uh, I, th- I figured they'd be in the top 20 somewhere uh, based on uh, what little I knew of Ryan and, and what a lot of I knew about Guy. And uh, it looks like they ended up 14th, which was uh, a spot ahead of their NACPR projection. Um, a really good, if I'm not mistaken, first triple crown race for Ryan and um, a, a very good performance overall by both of them. Um, and another one I had was um, John Webb and Caleb Watson. You know, I, I, you know, I'm a fan of Caleb. I'll admit it because he's he's from my hometown, but he's also been improving steadily. Um, and they they ended up with a top 25 finish, uh, 24th in fact, and uh, 906.16. I thought they had a phenomenal race, and they were seven spots ahead of where the NACPR had them. Yeah, they had a a really, I mean, for your first Clinton and the conditions being what they were, I think uh, Caleb was really impressive. And and as, I mean, as were Ryan and Guy uh, as well, um, that was a tough first Clinton. And to see some rookies out there, like you said, in the top 25, um, both with really experienced partners, which I think makes a big difference. Uh, Definitely helps. (laughs) Yeah, it (laughs) It definitely does. But... Um, but you still have to earn it. Right. I mean, the experienced partner definitely flattens that rookie learning curve. But, I mean, you're still there for the first time. So experience everything for the first time. And, and you know, and, and the conditions that were there, at the low water and the hot and the hot, hot heat. And, and, you know, both teams had a solid race. What about you, Bill? What were some of your uh, dark horses and how how'd they perform? Oh man, gotta put me on the spot, don't <laughs> you? Uh, that's that's why I like show running. I get to put other people on the spot. Uh, no, I I would have to say some teams that I was just kind of watching. Uh, Jackson Tucker and Dylan Kirk ended up in twenty first. Uh, they had a time of nine oh three thirty five, or yeah, I think I got it right there. They had a really good race. Um, it, very, very exciting to, to watch Jackson to see how he's going to progress up. Um, and, and Dylan is probably one of the more underrated stern paddlers in the sport of canoe racing. Uh, moving forward a bit in the field, uh, Mike Schlimmer and Dana Henry had a heck of a race. I think they were in 13th, right around eight and a half hours. Uh, this was a, a team that came together late, if I understand correct. I don't know how much they had actually even paddled together prior to the Clinton. Um, and to come out and take 13th in this field was absolutely spectacular. I mean, they were right behind Surgeon Ev. Um, and then the other one, obviously, that uh, I had my eyes on was Andy Hall and Katie Peck. Um, I've talked to both those two paddlers on and off from time to time. Um, Katie is on an amazing trajectory in the sport and it's great to see her results and great to see her up there competing, uh, moving up in the field, uh, looking forward to seeing how she does the rest of the season. How about you, Rebecca? All right. Well, one team that, uh, 
I was following was Damon Gallopo and Pemissim Gallopo. Uh, he goes by Bem. Uh, they're a team from Maine um, that probably nobody has heard of, but they've come to the Nationals a few times. And they were racing in the, I think they were in the amateur class, but if you put all the times together, they were 48th overall, which again is having like no NACPR. Um, I, I'm sure that was their first Triple Crown race as a team. Uh, so that made me really excited to see them solidly in the middle of the field, right? Because it's uh, it, that race is so punishing. I know I've said that a lot on this podcast, but it's absolutely true. Um, another team I was watching were uh, Chris Prater and Oliver McMillan uh, from Ontario. And they finished 44th overall, and I believe were second. Uh, no, they were third, I think, in the amateur and second in the open amateur class um they had an unfortunate flip i believe on the pond so they swam for quite a while and just had to pass people the whole way uh so that that's a inspiring performance but without that without that flip we would have never got the picture of them next to uh southern tier jeff Pedersen and uh, i think it was ed wagner where he captioned it like not all meetings happen in a boardroom and if you're not aware <laughs> you know ripple effects paddles uh that's that's where they come for from is uh chris pratter does a fantastic job they're an incredible paddle you can buy those through southern tier uh, and i believe northbound here in grayling may have them as well so that they do so yeah happy um, little accident <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and I'm always really happy I'll do one more uh, to see the Landics back out racing. So Connor and Steve Landick raced together. Um, I talked to Connor after the race. He said <laughs> it was pretty rough. Um, it was hard, but they were happy to be out there together. Connor said it's the least amount of hours he's ever had going into a Triple Crown race. Uh, but he was so happy to be out there with his dad and to be competing again. So I just... I don't know. I'm a sucker for the the parent-child teams. I've been a part of quite a few of them, and it's just something special to see, especially, I think, as we, you know, now that Connor and I are both in our 30s, like, you appreciate it more that you've had those opportunities than when you were 15. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a sucker for those two with a, with a couple of kids that are active outside and things of that nature. Uh, we had a chance to paddle with the Landics, uh, the weekend prior to the General Clinton. Um, and I was just sitting there kind of watching him go, man, someday I really hope that my son still wants to hang out with me and, and paddle with me. So that's a that's a cool story to see them, you know, out to the Clinton. Uh, were there any surprises in the field? Anybody just kind of just absolutely shock us, like knock our socks off? I think you called one, Bill, and that's uh, Jackson and Dylan. Uh, I thought they could have a good race, but I think I projected them to be mid-30s, and they finished 21st. Um, so I'm super pumped for them because I know last year they were planning to do the Asable together and had some COVID circulating and weren't able to race. So it's good to see that redemption for them. Yeah, I'd have for to, sure, second, yeah. I'd have to yeah. second Jackson and Dylan, too. Um 
Yeah, the NACPR had them projected 40th, and, and they ended up 21st. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a heck of a jump, um, and definitely a few spots ahead of where I thought they'd end up. Um, really looking forward to see how they do uh, the rest of the season. Yeah. Were there any other big surprises, uh, rankings versus results, with the NACPR, Ryan? Uh, there were several. Um some of it had to do with, you know, it was complete untweaked NACPR. Um, so, like, obviously, Kristoff and, and, and Ryan were projected seventh and they ended up second. But some of that was based on Kristoff's uh, highest NACPR. It was, it was a mixed result plus their, their, Canton, their Canton race earlier in the year. Um, but then, you know, there was teams like Joseph Allison and Steve uh, Bakorik. Basharik, I've never heard how that name's pronounced. Uh, you know, they were they were projected 47th and ended up 27th, so you know, 20 spot jump, um, definitely an impressive uh, race. And uh, seeing um, them them race the Asaba last year, they had a super strong second half, so they're definitely some really good paddlers. Um, some other ones, uh, Philip Millspa, and I believe it's his brother Andrew Millspa. Um, you know. Being Andrew, I believe uh, it was his first Triple Crown race, so they didn't have a, a great NACPR projection with almost no data to go on, except for from Philip. Um, you know, they ended up in the top 40 if you combine amateur and, and the pro uh, results. You know, 923.54, definitely a strong showing. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I think Phil had said and he's now raced with he, he's now raced the Clinton with all of his siblings. So that's a pretty cool, pretty cool accomplishment. Um, and I'll pick. Uh, we have Sanjin Lama and Quinn Richmond. Uh, they finished 39th in the overall. I believe they were the winners of the Open Amateur class. Uh, they were finished 24 positions above their NACPR rankings. So uh, that's another team that's. Uh, definitely over or outperformed their ranking. Okay. It's, al it's always, it's always fun seeing teams, uh, beat their projections. I know, uh, Gary McLean always gives me crap when he races the marathon cause his projection will be really low and he beats the crap out of it. And, uh, you know, I, I had some messages, uh, after the Clinton this year, where you know people said they they listened to our podcast on the way there and heard the projections, and it definitely gave them quote unquote bulletin board material to try and beat the crap out of where the math had them. And, and I always, you know, it really it really impresses me that that people, uh, you know, even look at this stuff but actually enjoy it and 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 you know. It's it's um, losing my words here. <laughs> no, it's 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 all good. You know, on on that note, like, how did we do? Like, I think we all missed, including the NACPR, Christoph and Ryan. Right, that that was a blind yeah. spot. Okay, like everybody thought, oh, they're they're building for July peak. Well, son of a gun. Apparently, that works pretty good end of May too, because they finished second. Nobody saw that one coming. Um, I know I was I was pretty tickled pink because I hit three of the top five in the exact spots. Uh, how'd the NACPR do? And Rebecca, how'd you do in that regard? 
Well, the the only bullseyes the NACPR had was first, fourth, and twelfth. Um, but it wasn't. Uh, there was a whole bunch where it was plus one, minus one, plus two, minus two. So that's really uh, who had a slightly better day than the other. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of misses in that in that top twenty. Yeah, and I my I was off on positions on everyone, but that's okay. <laughs> I get better at more races. I have biases. I'm just a, you know, I hopefully all of our projections and stuff, and I'm willing to put out there kind of what I what I think. So hopefully that's just a point of discussion. Somebody, if I keep rating you low, just shoot me a message, but make it a nice one because I'm coming from a good place. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm willing to stick my neck out for conversation. So, um, yeah, it's uh, but it was a, it's a fun exercise to do. I think my Clinton last year, I did a lot better. It was more more fine tuned. I, I think I picked most of the top 20 in pretty good order. Um, this year, I was definitely I had some wild wild ones in there but um i did pick danny medina and shane mcdowell to get eighth so i will i'll, I'll hang my hat on that one <laughs> <laughs> take your wins where you can get them right exactly <laughs> I, yeah yeah for sure for sure i think i'm four in a row on the winners of triple crown races which has me a little nervous now i feel like there's almost <laughs> a streak like the pressure is on to see how many in a row I can get. Uh, at some point, I'm going to swing and miss. But, yeah, I may do a little Swami Says thing for the Asabo. We'll see. Um, right, well, are cool. you going uh, to do the, the, the projection contest for the Asabo this year, Bill? I think so. Um, yeah, right. It was really fun to do in the past. Uh, speaking of which, Ryan, is it all right if we, like, throw it out there on the air to have people reach out to you if they're interested in that? Absolutely. I mean, it's only for bragging rights, so uh, I don't see any harm in that. Okay, right on. If not, I was going to say we could edit that out. We do do a little bit of editing, not a whole lot, <laughs> but a little bit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a that's a good time. Um, I, I love the in-depth look at things and things of that nature. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like horse racing now, so it is. Yeah, yeah I, like, I like getting the getting the group consensus and and uh seeing how that always does compared to the results and, and some years the group's right on and some years the group has no idea what they're talking about <laughs> <laughs> what kind of drugs is the group taking <laughs> uh, hey let that pretty much brings us to the end of our uh, general clinton 2023 episode it's been a fantastic episode what we have in the future um and we're not gonna have time to get another episode out i believe before it happens uh the texas water safari is on its countdown um so make sure that if you haven't ever tuned into this that you are tuning into the texas water safari um should be a great race the underdog team um appears to be in front but we'll see if the underdog team actually pulls off the win uh, other interesting teams i believe the texas ladies four is now a three um yeah, be. there's been uh, – I'm interested to see who actually lines up to start the safari. Um, the boats will, but I think some of the top teams are going to be missing some members, so they might – some of the sixes might be going down to fives, um, some fours down to threes. So we're going to have to see – it's a little bit different um, at that race. You can drop 
some of your original people that you've signed up with, but you can't add someone to replace an injured paddler um, so many weeks before. I, I, I'm not sure what the cutoff is, but they kind of close that type of edit to registration. So um, we're kind of sitting in that period, and I know there's been some injuries. So we'll have to see how that shakes out and have an episode there. We'll get some guests on to recap Safari, some boots on the ground. Uh, for sure, for sure. Safari recap show sounds like a riot. On that note, keep paddling on. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com and don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. Keep paddling.